Wake up, adventurers. It's time for another bonus episode of Hello Hyrule. I am your co-tour guide, Chris. And I'm your co-tour guide, Pete. Hey, Pete. Uh, yes, sir. The Tears of the Kingdom trailer a few weeks ago really put our <laughs> bonus episodes out of whack. <laughs> so we have both had a lot of work to do and also a lot of time off uh, from this podcast over the past couple of months. My car, like, exploded. I needed that time. Yeah, absolutely. I needed it, too, to just kind of catch up on some stuff i've been wanting to play and one of those things was the legend of zelda the wind waker hd oh yeah you mentioned a couple weeks ago you were playing that i didn't get a chance to follow up with you on that yeah it's great i mean i love the look and the feel of that game the combat's so much fun the characters are great but one of the things that uh really kind of surprised me was a moment that i had while playing it and I was out in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden I lost control of my boat, and it started to spiral inwards, uh-huh. and then I was confronted with the big octo. Do you remember that? I do. I'm not sure about the relevance to this episode, but I remember big octo. The big octo felt to me like the pinnacle of octo rocks. It felt like the ultimate octo rock. It felt like Every Octorok that we've seen has led to that moment when the the big Octo jumped out at me in the sea and I had mm-hmm. to had to quickly think about how to take it down. I'm not sure how I feel about that to be honest cuz like it doesn't spit at you or anything. It just makes a big whirlpool. Sure, it's not an Octorok, but it, it's still the general Octo family. True. And that got me thinking about what I wanted to ask you to start the episode off this week. Do you have <laughs> a favorite version that you can think of? of a recurring enemy in The Legend of Zelda. Because I think for me, like I was mm-hmm. kind of getting at, for Octoroks, that's it. I mean, we've seen a really? few big Octoroks, but the big Octo in Wind Waker is just such a cool moment. Now, I was actually about to say Colossorox from Minish Cap. Oh, that is, yeah, that that is another good big Octorok yeah, moment. because it, it looks like a classic Octorok. It acts a little different and it's, you know, genuinely kind of imposing. Yeah, and it's also pretty relevant to today's episode, which is the sorties for the Minish Cap. What better way to cap off any of these seasons than to celebrate all of the things that we loved about the past few months playing through and talking about the Minish Cap. So we're going to go through the usual categories again. Yes, sir. Between NPCs and locations and dungeons and items and just go over some of our favorite things about the Minish Cap. I'm honestly pretty excited. Like, it's nice to put a bow on it. You know what I mean? Like, we did finish the story and we did talk about the manga, but like, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of a wrap up at the end of a tour you know yeah and before we get cracking into the categories i guess i I don't know if i asked you this at the end of the dark hyrule castle episode but but how are you feeling about the minish cap now that we're on our final bonus episode of the season oh uh i'd say i look back on it fondly I'm not like in a particular rush to play it again, Mm -hmm. unlike uh, Skyward Sword, which I still have, you know, a copy of HD that I want to jump into at some point. But something similar were to come up with Minish Cap. I don't know if I would really be chomping at the bit to do that. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I enjoyed playing it. It was nice to jump into a 2D Zelda after spending so long playing Skyward Sword over and over again. Uh I think my favorite part of Minish Cap was hearing from people about their fond memories of the Minish Cap. Like, there's no shortage of people out there who love this game. So to be able to hear from those people and then to play it along with them to understand those feelings, 
I think has been a very unique and awesome experience. For sure. And like, don't get it twisted. I still think Minish Cap might be the best of the 2D games. No way. You don't think so? <laughs> no way. Oh, well, you grew up with Link to the Past, so you might be a little biased. I, so, yeah, Link to the Past is my favorite, but I would say A Link Between Worlds is the best 2D Zelda game. You think so? I think it's like a no contest, in my in my opinion. That one was a little frustrating when I played it. I don't oh know. Oh my gosh, this podcast is over. <laughs> Listen, the fact of the matter is they, they all have a lot of things that are good about them. I now have a special place in my heart for this game, and I'm excited to kind of go over all of the elements of it again one last time with you, Pete. So with that, let's start the sorties with our first category. Best enemies. That's right. The best baddies. So this is going to be any regular enemy. Yeah, the mooks. Th that feels like a derogatory word when you say it. Is it? I don't think so. I'll have to look it up. Uh-oh. Uh, so it's enemies, but not bosses. There will be a separate category for bosses. So Pete and I are going to give our favorite. If we have some runners up, we can shout them out. We're not going to kind of stop and, and come with a uh, agreed upon list between the two of us this time. We have some new categories at the end that we're going to spend the extra time going over some additional categories instead of doing that. Sure. So with that, Pete, do you want to start us off with your best baddies? My best baddie, I only had one answer for per category, but uh, my best baddie is armos whoa really yeah uh they don't have a lot of play in this game and i don't know if it really counts but like i really enjoy the potential that this has you know yeah just like the idea that you can turn tiny and crawl inside the head of this machine to control it you don't really control it per se but you're interacting with it in a way that you don't really interact with any other enemy in the game. I do like what you're pointing out in regards to these enemies really utilize the thing of the game, which is the shrinking. Right. What's your, you know, top baddie? Okay, so my best baddie, I gotta say, the Keatons. Really? Okay. I, you know, this was between the Acro Bandits and the Keatons on my list um mm -hmm. so i if i had if i were picking runners up you know acro bandits would probably be number two and helmisers would probably be number three. Oh yeah those are pretty good yeah i don't know it's just it, it it's cool to see the keaton so front and center in this game considering they just disappeared for such a period of time oh yeah they got shafted for acro bandits and the fact that they have a function like they steal your money i don't know it was good to see them, and I don't know that we're really going to see them again. For The only other Keaton I'm aware of is the one you find in Majora's Mask. That's it. Exactly. Want to give them their time in the in the spotlight where we can. Finally, finally, the Keatons win out over the over Magma at some point. Fun little puppy pirates. They're pirates <laughs> in this game, right? Like, that's that was your takeaway? Is that the impression you got? I thought they were like, you know, highwaymen, like bandits. They are. They're kind of like Mad Max foxes. Sort of. Uh, I don't I don't know if there's enough detail on those to go one way or the other. All right. Well, we took to Twitter just like we did last time. Oh, yeah. And we asked our Twitter followers what they thought of the enemies in the Minish Cap and what their favorite enemies were. A resounding 61% said Keaton's. Hey! 38% said Acro Bandits. The other option I have is Gini. And then, of course, I have my my patented other leave a reply option that I know you're so fond of. Hey, you know what? It worked out better this time than last season. It did. Yes. Thank you to everyone who participated in the polls. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And if if you are not following us yet, 
get over there twitter.com slash at hyrule pod we'll say it again at the end of the episode it's a little, a little late to reply on this one yeah but get there before the next season <laughs> all right so congratulations to keaton's and to oh you're asking me what mine was now <laughs> yeah i forgot already <laughs> yeah it's armos keaton's and armos for the best baddies in the Minish Cap. And our next category is going to be best souvenirs. Kanapachi. It's the Kanapachi, right? It's Kanapachi, right? I think we agree on that. Do we not agree on that? Really? Kanapachi is like barely in my top three. <gasps> wow. Okay. Here's the thing. So Kanapachi is cool. It's just, it's such a limited use. Like playing this again, it was just like, I don't know. I had to go with the Gus Jar. Really? I had to go with the Gus Jar. I, it just, Gus Jar it, is so slow, though. It's a little bit slow, but I love the way it changes the enemy animations. I love its uses uh, in traversal. Uh huh. I, I mean, the uh, biggest contender to it for me was the moments, I think. Okay, I can get behind that. And the moments I like because you spend the whole game up to that point seeing the areas that you can dig out. Oh, yeah, the little dirt corks. Right, and then you get the moments and you think, great, let me go back to those places. But the Gus Jar, I thought just, it had the most practical uses. And I don't know, I, I liked using it. I mean, you don't got to apologize to me, Chris, but like i'm very surprised because i don't remember you like talking this item up a lot i am surprised too for up until i replayed the game it was going to be cane apache and i love the fact that the cane of apache is the weapon you use to take down vati to some extent <laughs> well you do kind of use everything at some point eh, a little bit you know you don't use during vati's three fights the gus jar okay okay <laughs> all right well you know what i might need to change some of these on the fly going <laughs> forward but yeah for now i'm sticking with that gus jar is my favorite item right on it does look like the twitter audience agrees with you a resounding 64.3 percent said cane of pachi yeah with 28 percent saying rocks cape okay and seven percent saying the force sword. i almost said the rocks cape so i can get behind that too rocks cape is a lot of fun to jump around it's the best version of that item. It is. Yeah, no, it's good. It just, it doesn't open up as much as some of the other items, I think. Oh, yeah, because you get it at the end of the game when you already have, like, almost everything. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that cool moment where you hit the bell in Hyrule Town and, like, a piece of heart falls out. If there were more <laughs> moments like that with Fox Cape, I think it would be, like, a no-brainer for me. Well, most but... places in the game, like, faraway ledges, I mean... You can get to them by gliding with Ezlo, or you can, you know, uh, use the Kanapachi to jump into a Pachi hole and bounce up there. There's not a lot of places in Hyrule that require you to use the Kanapachi to access. So you're saying the Kane of Pachi steals the Rock's Cape's thunder a little bit? A little bit, yeah. Huh. Because you right. get it early on, so you can use it in like a bunch of places. Fair enough. Congratulations, Kane of Pachi. And Gus Jar for being the best items in the Minish Cat. Okay, so am I wrong? Because we disagreed on that last category. We agree on the next one, right? Maybe. Next up, we're talking about the best bosses. There are a couple of very good bosses in this game. I would agree with that up to the point where you get to the one where I think you and I both voted. Because once you get to this boss, the others are kind of blown away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's say it. Three, two, one the gyord pair 
All right. I'm not going to lie. At the top of my Word document, I do have the word Glee Rock. Word? But I don't know. There is something a lot. There, it was a lot more fun to talk about the Georg duo throughout the episodes uh, in this season than Glee Rock. Glee Rock didn't leave a huge impression on me after the fact, to be honest. Like, oh, I liked it a lot. Well, no, here's the thing is that once I beat it, I stopped thinking about it. Fair enough. After I beat Georg Pear, I thought about Georg Pear for the next few days. I think that is a good reason to kind of both agree to give this to Georg Pear because I also kind of was left thinking about it. And even mm-hmm. playing the Wind Waker after Minish Cap, I was playing it hoping that the Georg Pear in any capacity would pop up. Yeah, man. And now with Tears of the Kingdom coming, I'm thinking, you know what would look good in those skies? Ooh, that would be pretty sweet. A Georg pair. Well, there was that one enemy during the bonus episode that we found and that was in the background of one of those sky shots. That yeah. looked like a big manta ray. It looked more like a bird dragon to me, but like yeah. Like a big flapping thing. Big flapping <laughs> thing in the background. It was a single big flapping thing. So I don't know. The verdict's out. Maybe it's a Georg duo. Maybe it's a Zonai. Now, speaking of Georg pair, there is a quick little aside I'd like to have here. Because I have two remaining last second theories for the Minish Cap, Chris. Oh, let's get to it. Last second theory number one. Georg pair was infected by Bilocyte. Yeah, okay. You remember Bilocyte? Bilocyte, yeah, Levias. Yeah, it's the same basic idea, which, you know, obviously Levias was designed after the fact that Skyward Sword is basically a prequel to Minish Cap at this point, Mm -hmm. where developers saw this sky fight with a Leviathan-type creature infested with eyes, right? Yeah. Like, I'm noticing it more and more lately, where most people seem, don't seem to put together that Georg pair were actually important to the Palace of Winds. They weren't just big monsters. Like, the manga didn't understand that. Right. But if you look at the place, it's got, like, stingray or manta ray symbology around the place at different points. That's a good point. Yeah, these were, like, some sort of guardians for this place or yeah. worshipped creature of some sort. Yeah. So it's not too much of a stretch to think that a similar eye-based parasite was infecting them. That is a great theory. Yeah. And you never see them destroyed. Maybe they survive. They just go off screen, right? Or am I wrong about that? Do they explode? I mean, they have an explosion on their head, but you don't see them blow into pieces. Okay. So verdict's out. Well, there you have it. Yeah, hopefully they get the... Oh, I was going to say hopefully they get the Levias treatment, but uh, we we certainly see Levias in Breath of the Wild and things are not looking so good for her. True. Although, do manta rays have bones? I'll have to look that up. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> okay. All right. So it seems like we're in agreement on that one. Also, shout out to Vati, which is an incredibly cool way to end the game. Oh, yeah. Great boss it fight. It is very good. But not the number one boss fight in this game. Yeah, man. Congratulations, Georg Duo. Georg Pear, how dare you? <laughs> the Georg Pear. I'm so sorry. Oh, we had actually, it looks like, a very divided bunch on Twitter for this category. Right on. 38.5% voted for Vati, 15.4% voted for Glirok, and 38.5% voted for the Georg pair. Okay. In the comments, we had some people shouting out Vati because of the extra context of the figurines, uh-huh. as well as Mazal. Some people are just a big fan of the format of, of Mazal. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. And also the idea of getting tiny and climbing into his hands, which... Yeah, that was really cool. 
That was great. And I think the same could be said for Vati, like being able to get small and get into Vati like that. You you crawl into Vati's hands and then in Mazala, you crawl inside the big Olmec head. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Both really cool. A good handful of unique and interesting boss fights uh, in this game. And that's going to lead us to our next category, which is best music. This one, I, you know what? I surprised myself with my own answer on this one, Chris. Oh, I can't wait. Because I went back and listened to the OST. Yeah, I went, I listened to it this morning. Once again, the composer for this game is Mitsuhiko Takano, uh, the Capcom composer who did Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Uh, iconic oh that's right i completely forgot that we had the the take you for a ride song at the start of the season (laughs) yeah it feels like years ago at this point so pete do you want to start us off with best music so originally for my best music i was going to say palace of winds because i think the tune for that is just really really good like it uh, uh maybe one of the best dungeon themes in a zelda game maybe Mm mm-hmm But what I actually landed on was the theme for Mount Kremel. Wow. Yeah, because I just think it's like, it's just a... Dope is all cover of the hero's theme. It's really, really, really good. There are a lot of really good hero's theme tracks. The Mount Crenel one is the one that feels like a marching song, I think, if I remember correctly. It it just feels like really like rough and tumble adventuring time. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. I, I agree. I took note of that one as well. For me, this is one where I had runners up as well. Uh, my runners up. I think are very based in nostalgia. Okay. Because I have the Royal Crypt, which is a very cool variation on Zelda 1's dungeon music. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was a lot of fun to like get there and to, you know, that's like a very brief dungeon. So it like doesn't overstay its welcome. Also Dark Hyrule Castle, which is a very long segment yeah. of the game. Yeah. But, that is a complete throwback to Link to the Past, and I really like what they did there as well. Honestly, you can do a lot with covers. Especially, like It comes across really well in this game. A lot of songs from this game felt like I was listening to like Super Mario World on the SNES. <laughs> like Royal Valley... The main world theme, like I have a few here that just sound like SNES tracks to me, which is a testament to how the sound chip in the Game Boy Advance, how good it was. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant for the fact for the how many covers there were, because like this was released around that time where we were still kind of doing that with Nintendo games, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. My number one, though, for best music has to be Caster Wilds and the Windverns. Oh, another Heroes theme cover. It is the Arabian version of the hero's theme. It's got all that great instrumentation. It was one that I like 
pointed out in my notes of like, oh yeah, I really like this. Mm -hmm. And then coming back and listening to these again today, this morning, this one stood out to me. Yeah, I think the they, most. they kind of reinvented it for that one, which was really good. Yeah, it's fantastic. So Chris, I believe the next category is best NPC. Best buds. Best bud. I don't know. Cause we talked about this before the call. Like I feel like most NPCs in this game are not your friend. Yeah. I, again, like this is something that we kind of dived into, especially in like the manga episode yeah. where relationships in a lot of 2D Zelda games, especially this one, feel so one-sided. Like it doesn't feel like you have a back and forth with anyone except for Ezlo. And Ezlo in cap form is so brash and mm -hmm. in minish form is so not. Even the nicer people don't seem to really be on your side because you what you run into Anju and she seems to be toying with you with the amount of times that her chickens get out. I guess so. But there's one of those in every game. So do you think that that character is always being somewhat antagonistic with Link? <sighs> Maybe it's kind of hard to not see it that way. You know, thanks for bringing my chickens back. Well, it wasn't within enough time. So I just let them all loose again. Oh, you brought <laughs> them all back within time. I let them all loose again, regardless. Like eight times how many times did we do that mini game also like why does it matter that i didn't do it in a fast enough time <laughs> why does it matter that i did it in four minutes instead of three minutes and 30 <laughs> seconds why i have to save the kingdom you know it's either some sort of like a vaguely antagonistic relationship or you're just like doing business with them you know yeah yeah, so that's why it makes me happy to say that my pick for the best bud in the Minish Cap is uh -huh. our good friend, the Hurdy Gurdy Man. Same. Yeah, All no, right. I, I thought Hurdy Gurdy Man was maybe this is a little too meta for this category here because you and I, <laughs> we dug a little bit deeper and we, you know, pieced some things together that made us appreciate the character a little bit more. That is 100% why the hurdy-gurdy man takes this for me. Also because <laughs> awards for things are arbitrary and silly and whatever your favorite thing is, is the best thing. So who cares? Oh, 100%. It's true. It, like, honestly, our opinion on this like matters very little. Right. So why not take one last opportunity to celebrate this special, special big minish? The conversations that we had about him being a Minish, mm -hmm. I do think changed this character for me. Yeah. But also, like, he's the entry point for Kinstone pieces, which, as much as we were somewhat dismissive about Kinstone pieces, they are a cool, unique aspect of this specific game. The other thing might have been cool is if they actually kept him... Because he sticks around in town, but he doesn't really interact with you anymore past that point. Like, if he taught you more about different ways to use kinstones or, like, you know, had a bunch of different hard-to-achieve kinstone fusions or something like that, that might have been pretty cool. Yeah, that would have been. I guess Tingle is kind of a good character in this game for, for similar True. reasons. Yeah, he doesn't really, you know make himself too known though i think you can go through the whole game without talking to him you kind of can but like it is fun to to realize he's there it's fun when other characters shout him out i think someone says like i saw this weird little freak in the <laughs> yeah. hills by your house that was one of swift blade's journals yeah that was pretty good and i mean we can't not talk about swift blade and his brothers if we're talking about npcs right we super can avoid them we super That's don't right. need to talk about them swift blade 
the cops are coming for you. You're going to jail. <laughs> it's not okay. You also, don't need to possess them. Also, hey, let's 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 completely pump the brakes. It's insane that Swiftblade can yeah. possess creatures yep. and he does not make an effort to go after Vati. No, he does not use his powers for good at all. The king doesn't even think like, oh, let me talk to Swiftblade and come up with a plan. Like maybe he could support in any way. Swiftblade just stays in his dojo. His whole family can do it. His whole family can possess you. His whole family. You can have an army of psychic warriors. Exactly. You could possess <laughs> every boss in every dungeon probably with all of those Swiftblades and now, launch them all back at Vati. That would have been so cool. Here's the thing. I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, okay? There does come in the question of consent, right? If the subject of this mind control is not willing, does it not work or does it become harder? Okay, that's a fair point. Yeah, which, you know, we don't have context on that. I prefer to think that they are a family of malicious body snatchers, but, you know, <laughs> to, to each their own. Yes. Here's the thing, though. We do actually need to address them for one more second because last second theory number two. The Blade Brother family is all one guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Swift Blade, Gray Blade. Bay Blade. What's the other one? Wave Blade. The, the Blade Brothers are all the same guy. Okay. Do you want to elaborate? Uh, yes, I do. We talked a couple episodes about Split Blade. Remember? Uh, he's in Veil Falls and he teaches you how to uh, charge your split gauge faster. Uh -huh. We questioned... Why he knows that? Why does he have these split pads in his house? What's going on? Sure. I think that this whatever blade, whatever the, his original name was, was one person. And either he had some sort of access to Four Sword, you know, like an early iteration of the Four Sword, or he discovered some sort of technique of his own that lets him split his body. And he did so 10 times or what, nine times. Oh, and it broke him. And it broke him to where they are all like, they can't stand to be near each other. They are very competitive. If you look at the Blade Brother uh, figurine description, it says something to the tune of like, all of them have won the sword fighting competition at some point. If the guy won it just one time, that's all it needs. He won the sword fighting competition, and then suddenly every single brother is a winner of the sword fighting competition. You shouldn't be allowed to drop theories this good in a bonus episode. <laughs> This is why you listen. Because we have proof. I forget if it's in, I think it's in Four Swords, that the uh, the Four Sword itself and the cloning process that comes along with it yeah. actually has a maddening effect on the wielder of the blade. Maddening? It actually, yeah, it actually like takes a toll on their being. I, I feel like I remember seeing someone talk about that. I forget if it was in the context of Four Sword, if it's in one of the encyclopedias, or uh -huh. if it's in the manga. Oh, you mean because because I vaguely recall that in the Four Swords manga, each link has a different distinct personality. Right. But I do believe that they actually take a like having the cloning technique takes a mental toll on. Sure. So if Swiftblade got this, just went on a cloning spree, uh -huh. not knowing like the power of what he's doing, and it just broke him, it fractured him. <laughs> Those other brothers, they might he might not know that it's all one person. Like he might truly think that he has nine brothers. Oh, it could be. Or maybe they just think of themselves as brothers. 
You know what I mean? Because if you clone yourself, that's basically a twin. Okay. Now we're getting into maybe some weird areas of science. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But here's the thing. We see in Four Swords that there are some forms of splitting where you gain a new color scheme. <laughs> this is also dumb. Yes. There, there's the rest of the answer. And also, I mean, and one of them is a ghost. That means one of them died. So, you know, th- there you have it. Oh, this theory's really good. One of them died, and so they can't go back together again. Oh, they they need all the pieces to become whole again, and one of them... <laughs> it's because they banished him. You you uh you know what? I'll take it. If if it's if it comes to this where like we have a, a duplicity situation where they split into numerous forms and they can't stand each other anymore, fine. They're banished. <laughs> all right. So it sounds like we're in agreement though. Hurdy Gurdy Man wins the category. Oh right. And that's what we were talking about. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Borlov, the weird anti-capitalist storefront owner. Yeah, he's a character, huh? Yeah, it just it feels like there weren't a lot of places where they had too much fun with characters throughout this game. (laughs) True. But Borlov was an example where it seemed like someone was having a bit of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with that. There's a few that also have distinct personalities that I don't particularly like, like Percy. Yeah, right, right, right. We did also take to Twitter to ask what your favorite NPC was in the Minish Cap. 66.7% of you said Ezlo, which not bad. Does Ezlo count as an NPC? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, 20.8% said the hurdy-gurdy man. 0% said Gregor the Great. Shouldn't have used that as an option. <laughs> and 12.5% said other. And some of those comments under there, we have one who says they were a big fan of the Mountain Minish. Oh. Not one in particular, but the colorful uniforms and the ting-along, tong-along phrase. You know, I almost actually said for my vote of NPC, just the Minish, just random Minish. Yeah. No, totally. They're super cute. We also had people shout out the Blade Brothers, Ezlo, and uh, the King as well got a little bit of love. Which one? That's a good point. (laughs) The one that's alive or the one that's dead? I think that this person is talking about the one that's alive because they mentioned that maybe they're not ruling material per se. And that to me is the one that's alive. Well, I mean, if you're dead, you're definitely not ruling material. Matt, how did we come up with a best NPCs category, <laughs> award it to someone, and then come up with an incredible story behind someone who didn't win? <laughs> like, we just gave it to Blade Brothers, I feel like, but we're going to go and pretend it should be Hurdy Gurdy, Matt, now. Anyway, we got to keep going. We're going to talk about the best moments in the Minish Cat. Not a lot there. I'm going to say. I have about eight things what? here. What? Really? I didn't think I would have a lot here. They're all very small moments. Uh-huh. Obviously, this game doesn't have cutscenes in the same way that Skyward Sword does. Right. It does have cutscenes. They're just very brief, and there's less happening in them. Do you want to start us off with this? Uh, sure. I couldn't think of a lot when I was writing down these categories, but my answer to this is Vati's rapidly unraveling psyche. Oh, I'm working in a little bit of his figurine descriptions, but I think that counts. It's in the game. You know, just the idea that this dude, he wants to be the evil overlord so bad, so bad, Chris, but he is just not cut out for it. And he is, despite that, putting his all into it, unraveling and shattering the entire time. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. The way you see his descent, especially in a 2D game like this, like I think it's not uncommon that you see this in the 3D games, especially since Ocarina of Time, Uh you see these multi-phase fights where a lot of set piece stuff is happening. But to really nail this in, in the 2D way, I think 
think the Minish Kappa is very successful yeah. in that moment. It's impressive. That's a great one. My favorite moment. I don't know what I was thinking when I picked this as number one, but let's run with it. <laughs> okay. Getting into Mr. Left's house and going into the rafters and jumping with a clone on the library book to get it down during uh, the library side I, quests. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I kind of know what I was thinking. So it, it's like the stuff in Hyrule Town where you're shrinking into a minish form uh-huh. and you're going into the rafters and doing stuff like that is some of the best stuff in this game that is this game you know proudly saying like this is what this game's all about look like there's a whole second layer to pretty much all of hyrule town yeah and like this is a fun charming little side quest like to use the cloning in that way it's like the one time you use it in a way to move something from an upper level to a lower level i don't know it was just very unique and and cool and i i liked it i can understand where you're coming from i'll say that much i don't know if i agree (laughs) although i will say this you did inspire a honorary mention for me i don't know if this would topple my original answer Mm -hmm. but another thing that i liked a lot in this game was getting to see the minish spaces in the rafters above eateries yeah that's one of mine as well mama's cafe and above the bakery yeah i thought that was just so nice that stuff is great that is when Minish Cap is firing on all cylinders, I think, are the quiet moments where you're seeing what the Minish have built in bigger spaces. Yeah. Some other moments that I thought were great, the first time you shrink into a Minish and fall down a tree stump onto the mushrooms, that's a fun little moment. True. Your first time in Minish Village, that whole magical section of the game. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned any of like the actual plot beats yet. Like, you know, uh, Vati opens the box full of malice monsters, or like Zelda puts on a hat at the end. <laughs> None of that stuff stuck with me the way some of these other <laughs> moments did, to be honest with you. I One of the funnier ones I have is the amount of times that Link walks into someone's house and puts out a fire in their fireplace, which <laughs> almost seems worse than walking into their house and breaking pots. Like, it feels threatening in a way. Yeah, there's a it's a more personal almost. Yeah, like, oh, was this keeping you warm? Now it's done. I'm out of here. <laughs> Little boy walks into your home with a mason jar full of sewer water and pours it on your fireplace. <laughs> and leaves you to deal with the smell of whatever's in the <laughs> aftermath. Oh, I love it. Just a couple more shout outs, the real estate side quest and Greggle's ghost hunt, which I think is my number two. Oh yeah, that was pretty good. The fact that Greggle can just eat it. If you don't do this weird side thing. I am going to be thinking about that for a while. Like, I don't think any other game has that. Like, a per- no. like, you can have, like, Majora's Mask, maybe, where someone can permanently die. But if you go back in time, they're fine again. Yeah, the permanence of that. And there's just nothing leading you, really. Nothing pointing there and saying, hey, you might want to do this. Uh-huh. I love that. I, honestly, I'm sitting here thinking Greggle should maybe win this one for me, even though Mr. Left... All right, it doesn't matter. Mr. <laughs> Left's house wins yeah, you, it for me. You don't Greggle, have to stick to your guns. You're not obligated. No, it's set in stone. <laughs> uh, congratulations to the getting the book down at Mr. Left's house. And what was yours? Uh, basically watching Vati unravel during his boss fights. And Vati's descent into madness for being the best moments of the Minish Cat. All right, Chris, this next one is a biggie. We got best dungeon. Best dungeon. You want to go first? Yeah, this is one of the ones where we might have been locked in at one point, but I have Mm -hmm. a feeling that we're not locked in anymore. Oh, we diverged? (laughs) We might have, because on my most recent playthrough, 
I discovered that I think I really like the Temple of Droplets. That's my uh, runner-up, actually. There is something very cool about the fact that, you know, you get the boss key so early in the Temple of Droplets. Uh Uh-huh. You see the boss right from the get-go, essentially. Yeah, get the boss key at the start. Yeah, and you know, this is the goal. This is this is my objective, and everything else is serving that purpose. You're not like spending the whole dungeon going from point A to point B. You're mm-hmm. kind of like, how do I achieve this goal yeah. of getting the element, which is right here, and getting, you know, unfreezing this this boss i know this yeah. will be the boss how do i unfreeze all of it's this it's super cool plus you also get like some insight to minish culture if you pay close enough attention like where they have some close relationship with pottery and stuff yeah yeah absolutely i think yeah. temple of droplets is a very strong dungeon i think more while it's not my top pick i do think this one would benefit the most from being in 3d oh that would be just dope to see that the colossal rock yeah yeah all right what's your number one Oh, it's a Palace of Winds, man. Palace of Winds is great. Palace of Winds is just fantastic. It's one of my favorite dungeons in the franchise. It kicked my butt on my second playthrough. And I think <laughs> part of the reason why Temple of Droplets wins this for me, a little bit of it is spite. Whoa, okay. <laughs> I kept getting to the end and like just losing all my health like right before the boss really and i just i wasn't getting any fairy like i didn't know that there were fairies right outside the dungeon Mm -hmm. which duh there are always fairies right outside the dungeon (laughs) but like i just had to do the trek through the dungeon like three times Mm -hmm. and it just bummed me out but it is such a cool dungeon it has such a great boss fight it's got such a great theme great item yeah like it it really is a fantastic top to bottom like even has like that one mini boss the dark nut where you can just sumo wrestle him over the edge yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i do also while we're talking about uh dungeons want to shout out deepwood palace i think it is deepwood shrine deepwood shrine which like is just such a strong first dungeon that giant barrel room has stuck with me in the time since playing true yeah me too and the gust jar is a great first item to get the enemies are are kind of cute and interesting like it's your first encounter with tiny enemies exactly and the boss is just a choo-choo like that's a fun little moment boy man that that is a pretty good one yeah i mean i'm not saying that that's a best boss but just getting to the end and being like uh-huh. oh right i'm small so choo-choos are this big sure it's like a, a cool little realization i can give most dungeons in this game an honorary mention the only one that i don't think i would would be cave of flames ah cave of flames is all right actually you know what less than that would be fortress of winds i think fortress of winds is under cave of flames on my list as well yeah yeah all right so congratulations to the temple of droplets and the palace of winds two fantastic dungeons in the minish cat this is one of the ones that we also reached out on twitter to get your opinions and you guys were split just like we were 38.5 percent <laughs> for palace of winds 38.5 percent for the temple of droplets 23.1 percent saying dark hyrule castle which We didn't talk about Dark Hyrule Castle, but that's another great one. Yeah, true. Up to a point, it's hard to pick, you know? Yeah. Because Capcom did a really good job with this one. A lot of very good dungeons. So next, we're going to talk about best businesses in the Minish Cap. And this is something that we added in the final minutes before starting this recording. Mm -hmm. So what what does best (laughs) business mean, you may ask? I don't think we fully know. I think it's just our favorite business. 
It's just our favorite business. It could be like just on its own, on its face. It could also be like our favorite little bit we did. Sponsorships could play a role in this. What the person is selling, the characteristics of the shopkeep themselves. All of those things are combined into best business. It's all valid. So, Pete, do you want to give your best business? It's the bakery. Oh, really? Just conceptually, I dug it a lot. Because, like, if you're having, like, a borrower-style story, a bakery is, like, just quaint enough to match that tone, you know? Yeah, and they really take advantage of that. Like, the stuff in the rafters of the bakery, that was, like, the best of the the upper portion of Hyrule Castletown. it's adorable. I loved it. It, Like, they have their, like, little bistro up there. Uh, But also, just the idea of, like, kinstones appearing in the bread and the pastries and stuff. And, like, the bakers don't seem to understand it. They're just jiving with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think it's fun. You never see bakeries in this franchise, you know? It's it's more of, like, a... um, it's like an established location you'd find in a fantasy setting, but like it doesn't really matter to Hyrule a lot of the time. It's kind of like the milk bars to some yeah, extent. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, it, it's like put there not because it's something that'll aid you specifically or is a required thing for you in your journey. You could never go in. You could never go in. Yeah, but it just builds the world a little bit. Like yeah. it adds flavor to those town visits. Appropriately. It adds flavor. Absolutely. So my best business is going to be Karlov's Figurine Gallery. (laughs) You know what? That makes sense. Listen, this is a love-hate relationship. Really? Okay. Out of all of the things that we were... So we were critical of a few things in the Minish Cap. I think the mysterious shells are just... Eh. (laughs) like i kind of like kinstones Uh i think we gave kinstones a rough shake Mm -hmm. i think there's nothing less satisfying than opening up a treasure chest and and finding mysterious shells yeah i agree with that although karlov is not the shells i get it that like the only reason they exist in this game is for karlov but like imagine I do like the, what other way could we have gotten these figurine descriptions, you know? The figurine descriptions is kind of why I'm giving it to Karlov. Yeah. The figurines are cool little things. It's not like a totally unique thing to Minish Cap. Wind Waker obviously had them, but like, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to take a picture of everything <laughs> in the environment? Yeah. No way. It, I mean, I would do it in Wind Waker, personally. Uh, also, Breath of the Wild, I would do it. Uh, I know. I don't know. All of that stuff is kind of not not my type of gameplay. Not saying that the figurine stuff is in, in the Minish Cap. I had fun with that sponsor read. Like, that was the first, I think, sponsor read we did, uh, which was, was fun. I don't know. Like, the idea that he shapes these uh, figurines and, like, the idea that he has shaped three figurines for the descent of Vati... Is very funny to me. Like, that's something we toyed with in the last episode that I just really love. He somehow witnesses an abyssal horror, makes a a, a cute little model of it, writes a neat little description on a tag, stuffs it in a a plastic Yoshi egg with some dry ice, and puts it in a big vending machine. What's not the hard to understand? It's absolutely a Lovecraft. Like, he sees this and he makes, like, the first old gods board game, <laughs> essentially, with these figures. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's fine. He's fine. The figurines are kind of cool, though, at the end of the day. I like to think about, like, what the alternative would have been to Blue Shells. You know what I mean? Like, because you can't do a photo in this in a top-down 2D game. You'd have to, like, it would be really weird to try and figure that out. Mm-hmm. 
you can't really uh, have Ezlo target them, you know, individually to do that. That mechanically doesn't make a lot of sense. No, no. Like the only other thing that would come to mind is if you could suck them up with the gust jar and then you give that little tiny monster thing to Karlov and then he does something with that. But then the bosses don't make any sense, you know? Or NPCs. Or NPCs. Yeah, that's true. Like you see full shops as figurines. It's like, how would any of that work? I think the way they did it as a collectible in the world, I mean, it's not the most elegant, but it makes sense. Uh-huh. Anyway, congratulations, Karlov, and congratulations to... I'm enjoying how you don't remember my picks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bakery. Congratulations, Karlov, and congratulations to the bakery. You are the best businesses in the Minish Cap. So, Chris, before we hit our final category, we are having a new addition to the sorties slash cappy slash minis this year where we are going to touch upon our Hello Hyrule travel recommendations. Mm -hmm. I re-listened to our travel recs for every episode that we did them in. Thankfully, we started it partway in to the season already. Wrote down all of my picks, wrote down all of Chris's picks, and Chris and I are going to give our best and worst of each category for the season. That's right. So best and worst photo op, best and worst bite, and best and worst attraction. That's right. It's our travel wrecks in review to some extent. Yeah. Let's see how good of a job we did choosing these. So Chris, why don't you hit me with your best and worst photo op? My worst photo op, <laughs> and this is a recent one, so I, I remember this shame very clearly, it is when I descended into madness during the end of our last episode and said that we should take a photo hiding inside a Vati Reborn shadow room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was for me too. Uh, <laughs> that That is an interesting photo, but like very risky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and my best photo op is the tiny selfie popping out of an Armos. Really? Okay. You're utilizing the tiny mechanics and I don't know, it just seems like you would get this big piece of technology and a tiny little cute uh -huh. thing hanging out inside of it. That's a good picture. I could see that. You could get that as a postcard. You and I share the worst photo op. Uh, my best, actually, is one that you said partway through, which was you wanted to take a selfie with Biggeron. That was... So I have two highlighted, and you picked the other one. So I'm that means a lot. <laughs> like, I, I could have gone with either of the, those two. So I am glad that you picked my second option. So, Chris, uh, why don't you regale us with your best and worst attraction for the Minish Cap. All right. This was another fun one to kind of go back and uh, revisit. Because, again... When we have these conversations, we're at the tail end of a two-hour episode, so sometimes we're tired, sometimes we've been talking for three hours. Uh-huh. So, with that, my worst attraction was the time I said it might be a good idea to just get thrown by Mazal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, I don't think that that's a good business proposition. I mean, we did distinctly talk about how that would be deadly and you just did not care. <laughs> yeah, I guess there were not a lot of other prospective attractions in that specific dungeon. Uh, what about your best? My best. The MVP of this whole gosh darn episode, Dark Nut Santa Claus. <laughs> 
I I am actually genuinely proud of that moment, even though, again, it came mm-hmm. out of a weird hysteria at the end of a very long episode. I'm still in love with Dark Nut Santa Claus. It's just so good. <laughs> wholesome. Yeah. What about you? What is your best and worst attraction? Well, once again, you and I agree on the worst. Oh, man. My ideas <laughs> are getting absolutely panned. My best attraction, actually, is Simon's Lucid Dream Bed. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, I think that's pretty sweet. If I heard somewhere like elsewhere in the country, there is a like a tourist stop that has a bed that if you sleep in it, you can control your dreams perfectly. I think that's like awesome. Makes me feel like we should have given Simon a shout out during the best business section. But nah, the actual <laughs> here's the thing, because Simon and his actual business that he built are the dirt worst. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can actually die in the bed. Right. He didn't even test it properly. And yeah. it's not safe at all to use yeah no uh simon is a fiend and i'm glad he's in jail but for me the dream bed itself is just chef kiss (laughs) so lastly chris why don't you and i i why don't you and i first talk about our best bites you want to start with best yeah because i have a feeling you and i agree on the worst bite (laughs) i'm so ashamed My best bite is the Mount Crenel mineral water tea that oh, we thought yeah. of in the Mount Crenel episode. I don't know. That one just kind of kept coming back to me. And like when I played through a second time, distinctly thinking about what would taste good. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that that on its own would taste good. But it just there's something about the visual of the green mountain uh, water that stuck with me a little bit. And it's mm-hmm. like a matcha tea, like a like a dark green tea. I, yeah. I think that's a good choice. You know, I almost said that one because like it's already hot, right? It's like a hot spring. So you just mm-hmm. scoop up a cup and drop a tea bag in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my best, I actually flip flopped on this a couple times because for a moment I was going to say grilled Takuri burgers, which is one that you came up with. Yeah. Uh, in the Royal Valley. But then I remembered I also had a cloud from Cloud Tops. Uh huh. And I, I, I'm very sorry that it's, you know, effectively flavorless, but I'm just un, in love with the idea of biting into a physical cloud that I can touch. Right. You ha- had this as some sort of um, amusement park, delightful yeah. little sugary treat. Yeah. Spin it up with whatever flavors you want, you know, but like it's still a cloud, you know? That's a solid pick. I can get behind that, <laughs> definitely. Now, here comes the worst bite of the season uh, i feel like the one of us who gets the most worsts should have some kind of award like some kind of like big loser big jerk award you wear a big dunce cap like bad mr bad opinions <laughs> anyway let's say it three two one david, david jr. jr yeah that's cannibalism my bad <laughs> You know what? Let's pull the curtain back. Sometimes we start the recording and then I realize that I don't have the travel recommendations. And in that moment, I say something dumb like we should eat David Jr. I regret it. I'm sorry. It's one of my favorite moments from this entire podcast, Chris. Uh, Okay. Well, I'm glad. But there you go. That's the wrap up of the uh, the our travel recommendations for the season. Congratulations to all of the winners of our Tyrannosaurus recommendations for this season. Uh, yeah, you just had to take take the wind out of my sails there. We're going to miss you. 
And with that, I guess we're up to our final category, huh? Yeah, just best location. Best location. In the non-dungeon category. This is it. This is like the best picture award. Is that the one at the end of the award show? I don't watch award shows. I don't really either. It seems like it would be, right? Mm-hmm. I wish I, honestly, genuinely, I wish I was more enthusiastic about it because my family loves watching those things, but I am way too cynical for that. Me and you both, brother. <laughs> but yeah, this is the best locations, the best areas throughout the Minish Cap. And, you know, we've had our criticisms on things like NPCs and, you know, to some extent music, but I think that there is no shortage of good locations in the Minish Cap. So with that, Pete, do you want to give your best location for the Minish Cap? My best location may come as no surprise. It's Cloud Tops. That makes sense with your general tone throughout the episodes. Yeah, honestly, you know, honorary mention to, because I've mentioned it twice already, is, you know, the rafters above the bakery. But as far as, you know, a named location, I got to go with Cloud Tops. Yeah, it's a cool thing. I mean... I think especially now when we kind of take a step back and look at all of the games in the series and the recurring theme about going into the sky and, you know, the wind tribe that's up there and just everything you can kind of gather from that. I think that stuff really fleshes out the cloud tops. But it's also just a cool area. You got some Mario enemies up there. You got Mario enemies. You can run around on clouds, dig through clouds like you're sailing with Ezlo, going up these like red tornado. It's just really cool. I also like the Wind Tribe up there. Yeah. They're, they're a cool group. Honestly, like it. I know when Tears of the Kingdom comes out, I am probably not going to see a lot of Wind Tribe or Minish Cap stuff. You're probably not going to run on a cloud. But what if? You know? Yeah, for sure. Well, my best location, and this is one that I kind of went back and forth with, but I think I'm landing on and sticking with Hyrule Town, which kind of feels like a cop-out at the end of everything. I mean, I don't think that's a cop-out. I think if it's a place that you genuinely enjoy, then that's great. Everything about it. The music is good. The structure of the town is simple enough, but big enough. It expands as you play. But my favorite thing about Hyrule Town, and it plays to the Minish Cap strengths, is when you shrink down and you have a whole second layer of Hyrule Town as a Minish. Yeah. And all of the puzzles throughout Hyrule Town, whether it be the library stuff or the goddesses, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in the inn, just there are so many good small moments in Hyrule Town. Well, that's the thing, too, because like it's the largest hub and it's one of the only hubs. So like most of the NPCs and stuff you're going to do outside of dungeons is going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Like the other areas aren't going to change that much throughout. Yeah. I mean, aside from Kinstone Fusions adding an enemy here or there. What is it? There's like two different Minish colonies in addition to Hyrule Town and that's it. Right. Uh, You mean the mountain Minish and the forest Minish? Yeah. Yeah. Is there anywhere Mm -hmm. else? I don't think so. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Unless you count the Wind Tribe, but... But it's kind of like a... uh, Not really. Because it's one house. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations to Hyrule Town and to the Cloud Tops for being the best locations and taking home the big prize at this year's Sorties. Confetti! uh, uh, New Year's Noisemakers! cheering Ah. all right so that's it another sorties in the books another one in the bag that's exciting 
Yeah. We're one step closer to four swords. We are one step closer to four swords. <laughs> I'm really going to miss the Minish Cap. I'm glad that we were able to spend, how long have we spent now? Probably eight or nine months covering this game. Give or take. Yeah. It, it's been interesting. When we first started this game, I was so worried that we wouldn't have enough to talk about. Yeah. But now that worry is reserved for like the really really like zelda nes that's gonna be the tough one i don't know let's let's take it one step at a time because i mean we just added so much i think the lore theories that we came up with throughout this season have True. just been non-stop fun yeah so who knows what will pop up in future seasons you know man i'm excited i am very excited and you know what thank you to everyone who wrote in uh throughout the season uh who gave us feedback told us what you liked about the show you know just everyone that we've been talking to over the months or every everything that we've been hearing um it meant a lot and it really helped us figure out what this season was going to be yeah and what future seasons may look like to certain extents as well um, and speaking of, we have a big old weighty postcard section waiting for us at the end of this episode. Oh, yeah. Mailbag. Yeah. Help. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Uh, so if you've written into us over the past month, uh, you might be thinking, what the heck? They haven't read my email. I wrote in six weeks ago. <laughs> Listen, a lot of timey-wimey stuff happened when the Tears of the Kingdom mm -hmm. trailer dropped, and we had to put up episodes and shuffle things around, so we're going to get to a lot of postcards uh, right now that have been coming in for weeks and weeks. Sometimes life comes at you fast. You gotta roll with the punches. So thank you for writing in, and thank you for being patient with us, and here we go with what will undoubtedly be our largest postcards section of Hello Hyrule so far. I'm going to start us off with an email. Cool. This email comes in from Jutari. Jutari says, Hi, Hyrule Podcast. Jutari from Minish Woods here. I just finished watching your tour of the Minish Cap. I really liked it, and I'm excited to keep listening. For my theory of Tears of the Kingdom, judging by all the imagery of the sky and the shield that resembles Vati, I hope the Minish return in some way, shape, or form. Same. Maybe even they could fix the Master Sword by... Guiding our hero to a way to fix it. True, maybe. Some Minish do make weapons, and the Four Sword is on par with the Master Sword in games like Four Sword Adventures. Do we know that for a fact? I mean, ranking of swords is a whole other podcast episode. Jutari says, I hope to continue listening to your podcast. See you in Minish Village soon. Thank you, Jutari. Is Jutari a Minish? Apparently. <laughs> right on. Right on. And yeah, we're going to read some of the uh, Tears of the Kingdom uh, emails that we didn't necessarily get to last episode. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If that wasn't clear. We have a review here from Mighty Mouse 768. Mighty Mouse says, We got lost, but we figured it out thanks to you. Hey, Chris and Pete. Aaron and Ariel here. Uh, we decided to take a trip to Hyrule this month to get some real in-depth looks into the history and lore behind it all. In the end, I, Aaron, am awful at map reading and ended up in Vati's castle by mistake. Whoops. <laughs> Luckily, I had your travelogue on and found our way back to Hyrule Castle again. Thanks for such a great pod to listen to while we chisel away at the deep and rich history of Hyrule. It's a wonderful clash between a grand info drop of each Legend of Zelda area and comedy to boot. Much love to you both from your biggest fans at the Legend of Zelda 
lore cast. Oh, that's where I know those names. Yes. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Ariel. Thank you so much for the uh, for the the very kind review. And yeah, check them out over at the Legend of Zelda lore cast. They cover the same games that we do, but they manage to talk about completely different topics and go deep into the lore over there. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, man. I'm going to keep the train rolling with another postcard. This one is from Chris, but not me. Chris says, <laughs> your friends at the Legend of Zelda lore cast pointed me in the direction of your podcast, and I've been loving it ever since. Minish Cap was my first introduction to Hyrule, so I've been enjoying the trek down memory lane. Funny enough, Wind Waker was my first 3D Zelda, so it's safe to say I came at the series from a weird angle. I love how you go into detail to each location and bring Hyrule to life in a way that some games can't. One thought, have you considered doing a travelogue for the Kingdom Hearts series? Just ignore all the plot contrivances and convoluted story and focus solely on the world. Like an episode on Tarzan's jungle? <laughs> I'm excited to be on this journey with you and look forward to exploring every inch of Hyrule with the two of you. Many thanks, one satisfied tourist. Thank you, Chris. Heck yeah. I mean, do you even, do you want to talk about that idea for a minute? Uh, every episode would just be a like a Disney movie, right? Well, with the exception that you'd also be going to kingdom hearts locations right so there would be some square worlds and some final fantasy worlds mm, not quite you don't really go to final fantasy locations it's just that final fantasy characters show up in the non-disney locations with the exception of hercules world okay so full transparency pete has played through all the kingdom hearts games i haven't oh yeah it's on my backlog for 2023 i do plan on playing through all of the kingdom hearts games uh i don't know that it'll be content <laughs> i i definitely don't think we can commit to a second travelogue at this moment in our lives oh at this point i'm so busy but I highly recommend if you want a Kingdom Hearts podcast, check out Kingdom Smarts. Yes. From Jake, uh, who joined us on the, the Tears of the Kingdom bonus episode. Mm -hmm. And Shannon Manor. And Shannon Manor, as they discuss Kingdom Hearts, pretty much the series at large in half hour chunks. It's very entertaining. Keep in mind, there is cursing on that show. There is some cursing, and it's not a travelogue style podcast right. per se. It's more Jake being introduced to the game beat by beat. Yes. Uh, thanks for writing in, Chris. Do you want to? Do you want to take another one, Pete? Sure. Another five star review from Star Wolf One Hundred One, who has a Tears of the Kingdom theory. I've been thinking about the arm in Tears of the Kingdom, and it could function like the hook shot, but it could function like the game arms or like Midna's arm in OTWLP oh, Twilight Princess Twilight. <laughs> for what it's worth that would oh, that took me a second that would have completely stopped me in my tracks as well i was going like the wink latin pearls <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to cover the wink latin pearls <laughs> um but yeah no it, it's um i think that could work like we talked about that a little bit in the bonus episode for that right where the arm could like stretch out or maybe let you conjure a hook shot of some kind for sure but is he is he just saying he wants to punch some dudes i mean that's what you do with the arms and arms right you just punch it well dude. they do stretch out to do that though like you could they could stretch across the entire arena to grab or you know shoot rockets or something yeah i never played arms <laughs> <laughs> essentially what if you just get control of a floor master just grabbing dudes and tossing them all over the place we're getting close to my theory that you don't like where where the hand is like a master something floor master no okay yeah, 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 no yeah, yeah, yeah. we already talked about this all right back to me 
I'm talking about a postcard that came in from Emmett. Emmett says, hello, I'm Emmett and I'm a huge fan of the Hello Hyrule podcast. I'm audio binging the episodes and the minute a new episode comes out, I'm listening to it. Heck yeah. Also, I have a question sparked by the what does it taste like question. What does a sand seal taste like? Ooh. Anyways, I'm a huge fan of the show. You guys are the best. Keep up the awesome work. <laughs> Was not expecting. How did, what does this taste like today? Oh, um, boy. Sand seal? What does seal taste like? Do people eat seal? Uh, I hope not. Poor seal. May, hmm. So sand seal, I mean, I when I think sand seal, I think of the ones in Breath of the Wild. Are there any other uh, occurrences of them? No, I think they're just in Breath of the Wild. Okay, so those, those big hardy seals in the uh, Gerudo area that pop out. They're probably fatty like a seal because they seem that way. Very fatty. They seem like they also would need a lot of muscle to dig through sand. So yeah. I'm going to say like gamey, gamey, something like hmm, I want to say a cross between deer and crocodile, maybe. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah. Also, they got those mohawks. Is there something there? Is there something to the fact that these seals have mohawks? You mean to the flavor? Yeah. I don't know. Can we just get creative with that for they, a minute? They taste like they just left a punk rock show. <laughs> there you go. There you go. They got a little <laughs> bit of kick to them. I think the big thing is with how much they're traveling through the sand, because you also do kind of use them as like a, a vehicle. True. <laughs> essentially. That sand has to end up like seasoning, right? Uh... That's like a Baja Blast seasoning. <laughs> Chris, I don't know if you've ever accidentally eaten sand before. I'm not saying it's going to taste good. I'm saying it's going to be like a very peppery taste left on <laughs> that meat. You're not getting that out. Those things exist deep in sand and are traveling through it every day. I'll grant you that. They probably eat like a metric ton of sand. So they're probably a very salty kind of creature. Oh, it's just deep in there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ugh. <laughs> all right so it's just an unpleasant experience it's yeah. going to be tough meat and then mm -hmm. when you get through the meat just grainy grainy sand think about this okay because like you can't eat horses in breath of the wild you don't get meat from horses and when you attack a sand seal in breath of the wild they just escape they don't actually like die right so like we don't know that you actually can get meat from these things i mean you can't you don't you don't get meat from most of the things that you and i force each other to yeah. eat yeah chris i'm trying to take a tasteful exit from this question <laughs> it's gross and it's too tough and it's seasoned very uh uh grossly okay does that answer your question emmett it's too much work for very little reward thank you for writing in emmett do you want to take another one? Uh, yeah. So we actually have a return uh, review, which I didn't realize you could actually update a review to, to say new things. Okay. Which actually pushed it up, which this one I'm reading because this one actually has a theory. Okay. Guy 374-8574-8584-8386 slash 680. Oh, another Kingdom Hearts fan. <laughs> this is the same. You made the same joke last time. Uh, they say... I have a theory that the three triangles and the black triangle in the Triforce is representing the three goddesses fighting an ancient evil more powerful than Demise and Ganon combined. 
in a war that happened long before Skyward Sword. Interesting. That kind of goes to what Jake was saying in our episode about the space between. Yeah, I honestly, like, I don't know about if it's like a black triangle, depends on where you're looking. But like when you see the Triforce itself, it is empty in the middle. Mm -hmm. So that could be that it's a different Triforce piece that's been excluded. It could also mean it is just like a void that also represents something. Man, do you think they're going to do that at some point? Do you think they're going to nah. they're going to have another a fourth Triforce? wielder nah because it's because it, it is nice and neat narratively to have three pieces of a triforce even if all three make a triangle you have four pieces in a triforce that just gets confusing but yeah no i think this theory is it, it, it holds some ground i don't know if it re would represent an evil or would represent like some forgotten fourth goddess you know it could also tie into the eighth uh garuda warrior statue or, you know, uh, uh, some other sage that we're not aware of. Yeah, yeah, time will tell. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to bring us back to our uh, emails from listeners that came in. This next one is from Joshua, another T-O-T-K. Still getting used to that. I think it's more fun to say it that way. Theory that says, what if it is pre-Skyward Sword? The undead Ganondorf isn't really dead, but still being created. Link travels through the gate of time to the very first war in Hyrule. Huh. Interesting. I mean, we were, that mm. seems to be like, you know, everyone's trying to place what that war is at the start of the trailer. Yeah. We can't rule that out as an option. There are theories of time travel going on. The only thing is Ganondorf still being created. That's interesting because this is a sequel. So you would think, well, Ganon, I guess that was Ganon in Breath of the Wild. But if you go back in time in Tears of the Kingdom, it would technically be before. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It could be Joshua. I guess, again, time will tell. Thanks for writing in, though. Yeah, for sure. Do you have do you have another review for us? Uh, I do. Uh oh, Chris, look out. Ganon R. Gerudo the third. Oh no. <laughs> Says epic podcast with several exclamation points. Five star review, by the way. Wow. I was listening to this in Skyview Temple, but some diamond covered dude attacked me, so I had to pause it. I mean, should we be worried about our our listener here that's the full review maybe something happened on one hand they left us a nice review but on the other hand this is ganon argerudo i'm so <laughs> conflicted <laughs> ganon argerudo the third might be you know somebody else no relation oh okay sorry yes <laughs> the the name it's just a common name yeah yeah got it got it got it but uh thanks for the review yeah thank you you know we always we always want people to write reviews in character so i mean it works for me that's that's the way to do it. Uh, we have another email in from Riley. Riley says, love your podcast. Been listening since day one. Can't wait till you get to Majora's Mask. What is your favorite Zelda enemy in all the games? Woof. Also, what enemy do you think would taste the best? Again, love your podcast. It's awesome. <gasps> that's two very big questions. I feel like you got to listen to the seasons of the podcast to get those <laughs> answers. <laughs> that's like... That's like the whole hook. My favorite enemy in all of the franchise? Huh. Oofa doofa. I, you know, I copied this question hours ago, and I mm -hmm. should have been thinking about it in the time since, and I really just haven't been. Pose are cool. Pose? You know what? I do like a Poe. That's true. I do like a Poe. What would I be most... Because I went... I did like a whole catalog of basically every Zelda enemy. Yeah, you have a deep knowledge of this stuff. But now, but now I have like... I'm I'm spoiled for choice 
You know what would be really funny to me? I want to meet the Zelda guy whose favorite Zelda enemy is like a Lakitu. <laughs> you know, I was going to say Lakitu is a gag. <laughs> or like a bob <laughs> I just love the Bob-Bobs in The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to say Pose. Pose is a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pose are very good. I mean, not counting bosses and such. You know what? Pose and Bacoblins. Bacoblins is a very basic answer. Obviously, they were the Goombas of The Legend of Zelda, Mm -hmm. but there's so much character in them. You've got so much wiggle room with Bacoblins. You know what? You know what? I think I know what my favorite is. Not to distract from Bacoblins, because that's a very good answer. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to say Deku Scrubs. De- oh, yeah, because you have an you have a enemy and an NPC all built in. I love a Deku Scrub. Deku Scrubs and like Majora's Mask are so yeah. good. Heck yeah, for real. Okay, 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 okay. But what would be taste the best? That's tough. You're going to have to keep listening for that. You're going to have to keep listening just because I don't think we can come to the correct answer to that at this point <laughs> in the recording session. But thank you for asking. I do have one last review here. This is a very big one. Okay, you ready? Flying Guardian 500, five-star review, awesome pod, birds are mean. <laughs> is that is that the review? That is top to bottom, the whole review. They must have been listening to the Skyward Sword season, <laughs> right? Because that's where we, we spent like 20 minutes talking about how a bird defecates on the hero. True. And in episode one, uh, Rock spits a letter in your face. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it, though, right? What, what other... And then in this game, Takuri steal from you, is that... Takuri steal from you? We did talk about Ezlo's potential digestive issues on top of Link's head. True. And the fact that Ezlo is kind of a grading character. Yeah, he's kind of like a sour attitude. You know what, though? I'll say this at the tail end of this episode. Again, playing Wind Waker, and you have your companion is the King of Red Lions. Yeah. Uh, who's good... But, like, doesn't actively talk to you. Like, you have to talk to it. And when it talks to you, I don't want to spoil too much about Wind Waker for people who haven't played it. But when it talks to you, it's got kind of a regal uh, way of speaking. Sure. So playing that, I kind of missed the bad boy Ezlo a little bit. (laughs) You think so? I kind of wanted a little bit of a bad boy on my head at all times. I can get... You know what? It's interesting you say that because I was thinking about ocarina of time versus majora's mask oh yeah tattle versus uh, navi i think i'll take tattle every day because tattle's Any like day. she's got attitude yeah tattle's cool what does everybody like about midna she's got attitude Mm-hmm. yeah kind of made me appreciate us a little, a little bit more anyway yeah. we're getting off track uh um, Th- thank you flying guardian 500 Thank you, Flying Guardian. The next postcard comes in from Steve. Steve says, I give this travel agency five stars. Love the in-depth talk on different journeys through Hyrule. I loved my personal guide through Breath of the Wild and sought out travel guides for my next adventure. I finally found these fine people talking through the Legend of Zelda lore cast. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. He then says... And hold on to your seat, Pete. He says, I'm vacationing at Dark Hyrule Castle with my buddy Darknut Santa Claus. <laughs> P.S. You inspired me to draw Darknut Santa Claus and Elf Links. Wait, yes. I remember this. We got fan art of the one and only Darknut Santa Claus. I was so giddy when I saw this. Every time that we get someone sending art in, in any capacity, it's just it just blows my mind a little bit. And to get to have like a thing that we said, a dumb thing that we said, get realized like this. <laughs> Look at this guy. 
<laughs> I want to get Dark Nut Santa Claus tattooed on my lower back. A little bit, though. It's so, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. Thank you so much, Grand Titan uh, or Steve. I don't know if you want to go by Grand Titan or Steve, but thank you for writing in. One last postcard uh, that came in from Jenna, who says, hey, dudes, I've only been a Zelda fan for about a year and a half, but I played several games. My two favorite ones are my first ones, A Link Between Worlds and Skyward Sword. Life is an underdog, am I right? Jenna, I'm with you. Those are a very strong top two. Yeah. I, I was I was pushing back on some uh, Link Between Worlds slander, I'll call it, just a few hours ago. Come on. That game is a gem. Anyway, and Skyward Sword will always have a place right in, in the center of my heart. That game is oh, same. good, 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 good. I found this podcast and it made me so happy. Not only do you appreciate the game, you ask the actually important questions like what things taste like. So thanks for giving me something to listen to throughout school. P.S. Don't destroy the Triforce because that's a bad idea. We saw what happened to Low Rule. Yeah. P.P.S. Deep Fry David Jr. Okay. No, come. <laughs> I can't be mad at her for that one because I did kind of cause that to happen. But it's this is going to be something that stays with us forever. That's on me. But listen, I, I do want to take a second here because as soon as we released the Tears of the Kingdom episode, we got like 18 people telling us you can't break the Triforce, you dummies. That's the link between worlds. I mean... It is. It is. It totally is what happens to Lovril and the link between worlds. They have totally covered what happens there. It's not good news. You know, when you record a podcast for a few hours, you forget some things. Can't they just exhaustively collect their pieces of their Triforce? Like, over a very long period of time, like, having to spend tons of money on Tingle to get maps of where to find pieces of the Triforce that you broke? Can't we just do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, make that a whole other game. But, um, yeah, thank you, Jenna. And thank you to everyone else. We just spent a half hour doing postcards. It feels good to get all of these off of our chest because they have been building up. Well, also, you don't want to leave anybody out in the cold, you know? No, yeah, and, like... Across the board, if you write into us, if you write to us on Discord, if you write to us on Twitter, we see you. We appreciate your feedback. Thank you for making season two of Hello High Rule as great as it was. Yeah. We really appreciate hearing from you all the time. And on that note, if you have any opinions on the true history of the Blade Brothers, you can send us a postcard at HyrulePod at gmail.com or by dropping us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read your message here and you'll be helping more listeners like you to find the show. You can also find us on Twitter, Insta, and Tumblr at HyrulePod. If you want to find me or Chris individually on Twitter, you can find me at the edge of my beat. And I am at a man named Babs, B-A-B-S. That's going to do it for the sorties for this season. Congratulations to all of our winners. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening. Our next episode is going to be the Rupersode plus the brochure for four swords yeah we are we are in it pete and i are playing through four swords we're compiling our ideas yep. we're still figuring out what that season's gonna look like but mm -hmm. i mean whatever it is you'll see it in a few weeks hey chris how many epics in are you uh <laughs> listen it's hard to play four swords anniversary in 2022 nintendo mm -hmm. doesn't make it very easy but rest assured there will be a season there <laughs> And with that, we are one step closer to Ocarina of Time, which I'm thinking Ooh, we'll get to yeah. at the start of 2023. Want to set people's expectations yeah. early. Expect that early 2023, if anything. We're doing the preparation for that right now, so we'll see. 
we want to make sure that season is prepped and as good to go as possible because everyone loves that game. Until then, I have been Pete. I've been Chris. Excuse me, podcast. Podcast.